0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to
1: Trek FM.
0: Hello, and welcome to the 100th episode of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators. Outside of Star Trek. Yeah. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are going to be looking at Robert Wise's work as an Oscar nominated editor on Citizen Kane.
1: Yeah, we're going to be talking about Citizen Kane.
0: Citizen Kane. You know, yes. We, we, we figured this is our 100th episode. For the 100th episode of our first show, Commentary Track Stars, which is audio commentaries, we decided to do Citizen Kane because it's Citizen Kane. And no one had done a commentary for that movie before. Except? Except for like Roger Ebert.
1: The first one who did that. Yeah, yeah. but
0: that doesn't count because doesn't it was count. professional and stuff. It mm-hmm. was too good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought, oh, hey, Symmetry. Let's make our 100th episode about uh, Citizen Kane for commentary Trek stars. That'd be cool, right?
1: Yes, that is what we thought. It's not. I mean, you you thought Citizen Kane, and it worked.
0: And any excuse to talk about Citizen Kane is a good one. Yeah. Now, Now, I guess we should just preface this by saying that, you know, the whole point of this show, which we've been doing... When we first started, you know, the the idea was that we wanted to expose Star Trek fans to other works that they may or may not be familiar with, ma- mainly that they're not familiar with, mm-hmm. you know, and say like, hey, you guys watch Star Trek like all the freaking time, and I can totally understand doing that, but, you know, if you really like Star Trek then maybe you'll like this thing too which was also by this guy who did star trek so so we're we're kind of taking that philosophy with this episode you know if you've seen citizen kane then we're not going to be really saying anything new here but if you haven't seen citizen kane this is this is for you you know what we're doing here is is sort of uh making this for people who you know are are maybe not that familiar with the filmmaking process and, and that, that sort of thing. So so we're going to start kind of from the beginning here. And since this is about uh, the editing of Citizen Kane and editing in general, and that's something that obviously doesn't get talked about much, at least not on Star Trek podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I figured we, we'd start by, you know, just posing the question, you know, what is editing? And then answering that question, which we posed just now. And basically... Editing is um, the construction of a movie from the the raw footage, you know? I mean, the editor, the, the director goes out and shoots tons and tons of footage, different angles, different takes, different line readings, you know, maybe uh, alternate uh, dialogue or whatever, and they give it all to the editor, and it's the editor's job to take that massive amount of footage and assemble it into something which is coherent you know
1: yeah like i i have seen a lot of people try to explain this to non-film people and i have seen the same sort of hurdles occur over and over again when describing things to people who have never really thought about like post-production and and like constructing a narrative from individual pieces people don't quite get it they think that it's either impossibly strange or so simple that it's obvious and right they're both wrong
0: yeah, they're both wrong and and or sometimes i don 't know sometimes both right, you know i'm kind of curious about this particular instance as to how right they are in terms of it being blatantly obvious, even though it is extraordinarily complex
1: well the the obvious thing is sort of about like eliminating the bizarre preconceptions that you might have that what you're about to do is simple. Like if you if you recognize that like the editing process, like the best example that I've always come up with is like, like the only one that I've ever seen work when describing this to people is like you know, if you've got, you know, like a footage of you, if you've got a documentary crew following you from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep and you've got 2 minutes to show me moments from that day in order to indicate to me like how your your day-to-day life is how your relationship with your friends and family and job are and uh, like what your, what your interaction with the world is at large. And like, are you a sociable person? Or are you a private person? Or are you kind of a hermit? Or are you kind of an outgoing, crazy person? Uh, do you have a drug problem? All these things are good. And, and then they go, okay, I get that. Yeah. So like a little bit, little bit of like me making, eating breakfast. Yeah. They look a shout at you eating breakfast and like a shout at me, like, you know, in the car on the way to work, shout at you in the car on the way to work. And I'm like, okay, now what if somebody in your family just died? And then they go, oh, I get it. Yeah. That's weird. That's weird. That is. I imagine that would be pretty hard to do. Because you end up looking at like the pieces and trying to figure out how those pieces fit into a story that you're not going to say out loud. Mm-hmm. How you're constructing something that you can never just cut to a shot of. Um, yeah, Charles Foster Kane. Um, yeah, you manipulated a lot of things. Like, you know that guy Hearst? He's basically that guy. Mm-hmm. Look it up. Yeah. How do you not do that and still accomplish your story? That's kind of black magic, but the black magic is kind of looking at it like it is just reality, like it is just your life and how you're going to tell that story. It it seems like a simple process.
0: You know, you, you say like, hey, I've got a script, I've got people who are reading lines, and I have a lot of options. But you just pick the best option and put it all together, and, I mean, it's all there for you. You're just assembling it, and then you end up with that finished product, you know. The hard part is capturing that in the first place, and I'm not taking away anything from the capture process. That's definitely a hard part, and, like, for me, it's really hard, you know. I mean, I've always thought that editing, maybe it's just because that's what I understand, but that's a lot easier to do
1: well i think it's all sort of the same the compli the difficulty in filmmaking basically at every level is sort of the same thing like the medium is there and you have to know the medium the ins and outs of it and how it works and sometimes the medium is very strange and sort of nebulous like acting mm-hmm. like really good actors like the magic that they have figured out is how to actually keep being in the moment yeah and basically, the same thing is true of directing and editing and writing. It's like get like get the medium so far in your head that you're not thinking about it anymore. Yeah, and then you move back to essentially you re- you go right back to being just a person trying to figure it out.
0: Right, and and with editing, you know, I think for for a long time, even back when Citizen Kane was made, it was considered by many people to be just sort of a technical process. Like if you look at the credits of Citizen Kane. There's, you know, full cards for, you know, the writers and the producers. Orson Welles was so fond of Greg Toland's work as, you know, director of photography on this movie that he shares his director-producer card with Greg Toland. It says, director-producer Orson Welles, director of photography Greg Toland. I mean, that's like Orson Welles putting... Tolan's work on the same level as his,
1: almost, almost the, the same level,
0: almost just uh, slightly, slightly beneath it, but yeah, just s- slightly
1: same, on the other lower half of the screen. It's kind of like <laughs>
0: it's kind of like on the bridge of a Voyager where they've got the two chairs next to each other instead of like the three, so there's not one person sitting in the center, but you know the person sitting on on the left side is is the captain, and the other one's just Chakotay, you know. So anyway, it's kind of like that, but Robert Wise. If he's on the bridge of the Voyager, he's 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 not even back at Harry Kim's station, right? He's one of the extras in the background who has to stand because he doesn't even have a chair. You know, if you look at him in the credits, he's buried in a big long list of people who are basically technicians. Not to say that they're not artists in their own right, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, original score by Bernard Herrmann and then um like sound recordist um visual effects supervisor editor Robert Wise and it's like Robert Wise's contribution to this movie i would say is right up there with Orson Welles and Greg Toland i would put him at number 3 in in this in the you know making citizen kane what it is today because i mean the script yeah, the script is great. The script actually was the only thing that won an Oscar for this movie. But, you know, I think history has kind of come to the conclusion that the script of Citizen Kane, while great, is not legendary. You know, what what makes this movie legendary is the way that it was produced, the way that it was made. You know, the, the choices that Wells made, in particular as a director, and by extension... You know, a, a, as a photographer and editor, um, well, you have proxy. to
1: conclude you have to conclude that there that there have been like there are better scripts than the script of Citizen Kane, but yeah. like it was like the way in which that script was approached, yeah, was radically different, and the way that it was executed was radically different. There were a lot of people who were doing something sort of brand new here. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of impossible to imagine how it could have happened without at the very least everyone involved being way ahead of the game.
0: Right. And and we'll get into that in a second, but just before that before we do, just to sort of give an idea of what it is that an editor contributes to a movie. I mean, assembling the the footage that is, you know, technically speaking what is done, but the effect of that is basically the editor is responsible for the overall structure of the film. You know, they're responsible for um, making it coherent. Um, they're re- responsible for the pacing and uh, the rhythm of the movie.
1: Sure, there are aspects of what you're saying that are kind of that are that are nebulous in this instance because there are things in the script that do reduce the editing process down to um, paint by numbers
0: right and and that's and that's sort of like the the thing which I struggle with in particular with citizen Kane is that it was so well thought out that you almost know exactly where every cut is supposed to go but mm-hmm. that being said whether the editing was planned at the script stage or whether it was found in the editing room you know maybe we can't credit Robert Wise with the things which were planned at the script stage but you can say regardless of that that the editing of Citizen Kane, the editing of this movie is astounding
1: There's, there, is, there, is a, there is a side to this that I find sort of weird because of the, apparently the way Robert Wise and Orson Welles' relationship developed but like there is something very strange about this moment in history where Orson Welles, a wacko who had never made a movie before was given the money to make a giant movie yeah, and he went in and he made this thing, and everybody who got involved, somehow it all worked. Like nobody at any point was like, "This kid's absolutely out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What he's asking me to do is crazy." And and almost at every stage, like you have to congratulate the people who sat there with with Orson Welles, especially even Robert Wise. At some point, he was sitting in a room with Orson Welles, and Orson Welles was telling him to do a crazy thing, and he was like, "I get it." Yeah, and that moment of I get it might actually be the most impressive thing that happened because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's crazy. He there was n- there was no precedent for a lot of what Orson Welles was doing, and if you did not get it, it would have looked like he was a lunatic. Yeah, and he was, but I mean, not in this instance. Right.
0: So so let's get into Citizen Kane. This movie came out in 1941. It was the first movie directed by orson wells it was the first movie for a lot of these people like you were saying wells at the time was 20 well i guess he was probably like 25 when they shot it he was like 26 yeah. when it came out
1: which some hella good old age <laughs> makeup what it, happened Hollywood? Exactly. Honestly, what happened? <laughs> tell I want an answer now. I'm not even joking. I want somebody to report to me and tell me what occurred.
0: That that is kind of true. I mean, the the age makeup in this movie is so much better than most of the stuff that you see today. It's kind of crazy. But yes, Orson Welles, he wrote, produced, directed and starred in this film at the tender age of 26. Having never made a movie before, that's not to say that he hadn't done anything before. He was really big.
1: He was big. An established radio guy, radio and theater. He knew he knew audition inside and out. Right. Like he didn't need to know any of those weird keyboard shortcuts. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. He had like a touch screen interface. It was all Minority Report and everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And he uh, had been trying for a, a fairly long time to get a movie off the ground. Um, and it kept on falling through for whatever reason. The the one that he wanted to be his first movie was an adaptation of Heart of Darkness, um, which he was planning on doing all from a first-person perspective.
1: Man, people trying to adapt Heart of Darkness... It is so many different people's apocalypse now,
0: right? Exactly. I mean, the, the idea of—I mean, think about that. That basically is like it's
1: Orson Welles' Rosebud.
0: Imagine, imagine apocalypse now as a first-person shooter. Like that's what that's what he wanted to do.
1: That's not even weird. Yeah, I've, I mean, I'm just saying that's. I that's I'm pretty sure I played that game, but in, in 1940 <laughs> or 1941,
0: that would yeah. have been weird.
1: Yeah. It was a sequel to the Warhorse game.
0: So, so that didn't. Uh, that didn't materialized, but he was definitely a hot commodity. Like, everyone in Hollywood knew who Orson Welles was, and everyone knew that this guy was going to blow up. And they knew that, you know, whoever could get him would be
1: golden. It was definitely an instance where hype was not a complete bunch of nonsense. <laughs> right. The hype surrounding somebody was actually deserved, and when, like, the thing came out, it was worth the hype. We should have stopped trying then. Yeah,
0: but regardless of that, because of that, Wells knew that he basically had uh, carte blanche for
1: this movie. Yes. He He also had a huge burden to absolutely, no question, make it amazing.
0: Right. But But he was able to do that. He was able to deliver. And one of the reasons why he was able to deliver was because he had absolute control over the finished product
1: which is sort of strange because generally speaking that's not the way things work
0: no but as such he was very meticulous in terms of the planning from the script stage all the way through the editing and um well i mean the end result is remarkable the end result is considered by many to be the the greatest film of all time and it has been considered that for decades now but For those people who don't know, would you want to sort of give a a synopsis of of Citizen Kane? Kind of talk about what the the story is about and that kind of thing?
1: The story isn't particularly complicated. It is sort of just an adaptation of... of, um, of, uh, William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, I'm trying to remember his first name. William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst. Okay, yeah. Um, I made like a Patty Hearst reference earlier today and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Yeah, all right basically he he had a very bizarre life in which he you know um, had nothing got some money started making more money bought a newspaper did some really gross things with the newspaper bought more newspapers made the world a little bit more unsafe for legitimate journalism and um, perverted a lot of perfectly good journalistic integrity uh, and made a lot of things worse um married a crazy person um promoted her rather than actually report the news basically a lot of you know like rich guy you know making the world a less good place for his own enjoyment it's i mean like honestly it's the same story it's always been it's the same story rupert murdoch is living out right now everybody's seen this narrative occur a bunch of times but in this case this movie is sort of about how this very bizarre fall from being a happy healthy human being began when he was a very young child with a thing named rosebud
0: the whole movie is structured um in flashback the very first scene in the movie is orson welles character charles foster kane dropping dropping a snow globe onto the floor And saying his very last word, which is rosebud, and Mm -hmm. then dying. The rest of the movie is a journalist who's going around interviewing various figures in um, Kane's life, trying to figure out basically what rosebud means in the hopes that that will be a key to unlocking this guy's...
1: Yeah, it's Life. Th- like it's sort of it's sort of like a big famous guy dies and you want to tell a story about how this big famous guy died. And so they have this weird little outlier, this little thing he said. He said Rosebud. Nobody knows what Rosebud is. Everyone assumes that it's a chick that he met at some point. Everyone assumes that it's a person. There's got to be something like that because that would make sense. Why would like some why would some random word be your last word? Right. And so people are looking for evidence of what it was. And there are. Basically, it's a it's just a series of red herrings. But like, if you you could if you forgot that there was a reporter in this movie, you could be forgiven because it's basically a framing device. Right? Exactly. The, the the but if but I mean, like nowadays we take that for granted. Back then, it was like framing device. Yeah, not for making like picture frames, but like for storytelling. Here, just just see Citizen Kane. You'll know what I'm talking about.
0: Right, the idea of like telling a story um like this in flashback and it's not just like a, a a thing where some guy is saying like, "Well, you'll never believe what happened to me the other day. I was walking down the street." It's not like that at all. You know, what it is is it's a journalist investigating this guy's life. So, it's very, very complex. You don't necessarily see things in chronological order. You might see something from later in his life first, although for the most part they do go rather chronologically. But you also are getting various perspectives on this story. So what you'll see is like a scene which uh, is presented the way that the public saw it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go back and show the same events from Kane's perspective. But and they're you not can like see,
1: Rashomon style n- no, seeing it's, the same events.
0: It's, it's more like you're seeing what was happening behind closed doors. And yes. now that you have that information it completely changes what was going on in the public eye.
1: Yeah. Like the thing is like these things are taken so for granted now that it's not even considered that revolutionary. But like at the time it was, it's bizarre to imagine that there are in fact, like it, it, it is a chronological story of about, of a guy's life and there are, there are radically different tones to the scenes and they are like, like, chronologically right up against each other and it should come together that this is what's happening you're seeing two sort of different perspectives none of them are lies none of them are inaccurate like he really was just dancing around being a, being a, like, like a goofball and minutes later being a complete psycho
0: okay so so all of this i know it doesn't seem like we're talking about the editing of this movie but we are because it was robert wise's job to figure out how to make this story, which is being told in a way that no one had ever really seen before, make sense to an audience who had never been exposed to anything like it. But before we get into it, let's just acknowledge the work of, of Greg Toland and the, the photographer, because that is sort of the other key here and something which actually does come into play when it comes to the editing. Now, the thing about this movie, what it is the reason why it's historically significant is because it is essentially an amalgamation of everything that had come before in terms of filmmaking wells was very well versed in the various techniques used by people from around the world and throughout history the the short history at that point of movies you know he he understood german uh expressionism and he understood well the, uh, the you know russian montage and all that stuff
1: well at the time like like historically speaking it, it, it's not unreasonable to say that the development of film like the first three touchstones were like when thomas edison pretended he invented it <laughs> and then eisenstein
0: eisenstein was a big one yeah who, who was and then an Citizen and, Kane. <laughs> yeah eisenstein he was a uh a,
1: he was a he, filmmaker and... He was, he was a filmmaker editor. 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 Yeah. And, and, and he... A lot of the stuff that, that became part of film's, like, tool set... Right. Uh, he invented back when film was literally, basically considered witchcraft.
0: Right. The other thing about Wells' approach to Citizen Kane, is where other people had certainly studied these things in the past and applied them to, to their storytelling. Yes, Wells, I always got the impression that with this movie, he kind of took the approach of, this is what I want to see, now let's figure out how to do it. You know, he probably would have been right at home in the, uh, in the digital era with, you know, visual effects and CGI and everything like that because it would have allowed him to do pretty much anything. Yeah. But here, he needed to figure out how to do it. So he had to to have an understanding of the the technical um side of things as well as an understanding of the uh the sort of storytelling um side of things. And this is particularly evident in the photography where you see shots which are using uh, compositions which you can't physically do with you know the lenses of the time period and and like using visual effects to make shots look normal when in reality they were impossible for example someone in focus in the foreground on one side of the frame and someone else in focus in the background on the other side of the frame with like a Um, a split in the middle which is joining the two together in a seamless fashion.
1: And sometimes the split in the middle is out of focus. Sometimes, yeah. In order to just make the audience completely confused.
0: Yeah. And, you know, uh, the other things like, you know, the thing that everyone always talks about is there's one shot which he wanted to get from ground level, right? So what they did was they built the set on Mm -hmm. a, a a stage, you know, three feet or so above uh, the actual floor so that they could stick the camera down and have the camera at foot level, which is something which, like, no one had ever done that before. Like, people talk about this, you know, the way that sets were constructed and the way that, that you know, lighting equipment and, and microphones were placed in the, in these movies, there were no ceilings on these sets. Yeah. Therefore, you never saw a ceiling in a movie. In Citizen Kane, there's ceilings all over the place.
1: There are there are a lot of things going on in this, and and like while you while you can see that like Orson Welles, you know, like he he was he was seeing like what he wanted to do and what he was able to do with these tools, and he made it possible. And maybe he would be at home today. I don't think so. I don't think that he would make sense today. I think that he would see all these tools and not know what to do because Citizen Kane is largely. Like, its strength comes from what has been done before. Like, part of of the the, the brilliance of this is that he didn't actually reinvent the wheel. He just made a car. Everyone had made bicycles. He didn't do anything fundamentally new. He just took what was there, assumed that things were totally acceptable and normal and reasonable, and then made decisions based on that because he was too young to know any better. He didn't know that things had already been proven to be impossible. Mm -hmm. Of course, they were wrong yeah but like he didn't he was just not aware of that world, and I think that if he if he existed now, the tool set would be too big, and he'd probably be freaked out. I well, don't think he would know what to do, but I think in this instance, what was happening was he was he was making decisions that seems that seemed reasonable, that seemed like what you should be doing. but a lot of people at the time, there was sort of a split. there were people who were in movies, and at the time people who were in movies were people who were in something else when movies were invented like five years earlier (laughs) yeah so when when movies were were suddenly a thing a bunch of people suddenly became experts and none of them grew up on movies Mm -hmm. none of them were kids seeing movies none of them had a lot of illusions they started and they thought of movies as being um like a stage play but with you know shooting it early and then exposing it and then putting it together and releasing it to theaters all over the country and world so it was a different reality and he saw the film as its own medium, maybe, for the first time. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else was coming from someplace else. He was the first wacko who saw it as a completely new thing. Yeah. I mean, certainly
0: there were others, like Eisenstein and like... Uh, Mer- well, he was, he was intentionally
1: trying, but he was already a grown-up.
0: Right. But, you know, it, it's... Uh, but, yeah, Wells certainly was, was a key influence on, on that stuff. Now, okay, so the direction and the photography are obviously huge in this movie. And, you know, it's impossible to talk about any elements in this movie without giving at least some credit to Wells. Because he really did have a hand in everything involved in this
1: film. Even if all he did to the photography was say, that looks too much like a stage, Mm -hmm. make it look like it's real. Yeah, that alone is huge. Yeah. At this point in history, watch movies of the time. Watch movies that came out this year mm-hmm. and and ask how it is possible that Orson Welles thought that this was even a even thing that you could do.
0: Right. But the editing was, to me, the third component here, which, which is what makes Citizen Kane special. Now, it was edited by Robert Wise. And um, what what are your thoughts in general on the editing.
1: Well, it's impossible to to quantify. I'm not saying just
0: Robert Wise's uh, contribution, but like like I was kind of saying before, whether it was no. built into the script or or whatever, the editing as it exists in the finished product.
1: No, I I know what you mean. I'm saying like it is actually impossible to quantify what happened. Yeah, because like there, there, there's in some ways this is this movie is an example of why editing must be really hard. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like there was thinking. It doesn't feel like somebody had an idea, a clever little idea and like put it there. It just seems like the decision was made every single, for every single cut. That's where you do it. Mm-hmm. That's where you're cut. Because like from the first shot and that little weird cross dissolve thing and then another one and then another one, at that point, by the time you're in that room, you've got to say, I've, I'm, you know, every cut from now on just seems like the right cut.
0: Yeah. I mean, just, just to give, give an idea. There actually is
1: one cut that really does bother me, though. Okay. I mean, just,
0: just to give an idea for for people who may not have seen it and in, in sort of what you're talking about, like the the opening of this movie, just to... Kind of demonstrate how well thought out this whole thing is is it starts off with a sign on a fence which says "No trespassing. The camera rises up and you see it and it does a series of dissolves where you see like a huge mansion in the background with a single light on in a house at, or in in the mansion at night, and the light is in a specific point in the frame, yes, then we dissolve from angle to angle different angles as we 're getting. With each dissolve closer to the house
1: yeah the, camera, the, the cameraman like packs up his equipment, walks a little bit further towards the house. And then, about like after about five minutes of walking, he stops and was like, "I gotta get a shot from this point." But but and but, but they also spot.
0: but they also move, so you're seeing like a different side of the house. You know, you're seeing like stuff in the foreground which you didn't see before. So right. it's he's, not he's, he's it's closing, not like it's not well, like he's zooming. No, in. he's
1: just he's finding a good shot at this proximity.
0: Right, like he might move to the left, like fifty feet.
1: Yes, you know, because like you're not always gonna have a good shot as you walk towards a mansion through a kind of man-made jungle. But the
0: whole time that this is happening, that window with the single light on mm-hmm. is staying in exactly the same place staying in the frame. Staying
1: almost in exactly the same place. Uh, well,
0: you know, they didn't have, like, computer motion tracking going on or anything like that, but for all intents and
1: purposes. It's, it, almost, it almost stays in exactly the same place, and it actually just sort of gets a little bit bigger, and it wiggles very slightly... But that's only if you're sitting there being a jerk about it, going, ah, it went over to the right a little. Right. Get it together, Orson. (laughs) What kind of name is that? But no, it's a crazy moment. It's a crazy thing. When it's happening, it seems like, wow, is this a thing? Do people, how is this not... It's weird that this isn't like a more normal thing when when dealing like with establishing shots. Right. When setting the scene. I mean the idea that like at the beginning of a movie people actually just are like like there's a there's a fade and suddenly you're in the story. The idea of slowly creeping up to a place, showing the audience around and actually establishing like we're going to do a lot of things, but it's all about that light. Right. That's what we're talking about here. Look at this castle, crazy place, with all kinds of things that are neat. It's all about that thing over there. It's an amazingly subtextual way of putting the audience in the position of of being able to watch this crazy thing that's going to go about all sorts of different directions and all over history in order to tell the story of one random dude and his, his obsession right. with that movie, Cool Runnings.
0: <laughs> and, and... After that, you know, extremely sort of uh, um, poetic, I guess, opening, you know, visually poetic opening with this this very sort of well thought out and composed um, series of shots leading up to this moment where uh, Kane dies, Mm -hmm. we then fade to black and immediately cut into a newsreel. And it's like you're watching a newsreel from the time period. And it's just like a bombardment of, of the senses. And, and you're seeing all of this stuff, which seems like it's stock footage, looking at this um, very important historical figure as he you know lives his life. And what it does is it tells the public story of Charles Foster Kane, what he was as a person to the public, why he was a significant figure um in America and in the world and how he died. And then that ends and then we see the reporter and he's given the assignment of figuring out what the real story was, what well, or Kane's personal story was. Yeah. And then we're into the movie proper. And it's like those two things no. like back to back are just like so jarring and you see sort of the the breadth of of wells and wise's um talents and how you know like we were saying earlier and like many people have said in the past that wells was going to use like every type of filmmaking that had been established up until this point in order to tell this story yep that's pretty awesome
1: yeah it was it was a radically bizarre thing to do. A lot of it, some of it now actually just seems so obvious that it's difficult to convey how bizarrely clever this stuff is. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've 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 actually shown this movie to like lots of different people over the years, and the one universal constant is that people, no matter how old they are, get it. And appreciate it. And like people actually people like I, I showed this movie to like a like a thirteen year old kid once. And like I was like when I was like an eighteen year old kid, I showed it to my cousin and he was like that was really good. Yeah. And like this is a kid that like w- you know, like watched action movies and you know, like thought Bruce Willis was an amazing actor, so good an actor. He's never. Nobody's ever going to do a better performance than him in Die Hard, mm-hmm. and I'll agree, it's a great performance. Yes, yeah, yes, it is. But honestly, that's crazy. Yeah, and and but like he was like Citizen Kane. Yeah, that was really good. And 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 at the same time, I was like, I was like, yeah, it is. I I am I am right about that. Citizen Kane is actually though. That's crazy. How did he possibly know that? Is the movie that good? Is it that good? Is it actually still that good that anybody can get it? It's and it kind of is.
0: Yeah, and and it's one of those <sighs> things where like the first time that you watch it. Um, you're not going to necessarily notice the elements, the individual elements which make it great. It's not until you dissect it later on, because they work so well and they're so seamless, they're doing their job, you know? You, you you don't see them, they're invisible. I mean, editing, a lot of people have said this before, editing is sort of an invisible art form. Like, when you realize that you're uh, seeing a cut and Stuff like that, unless it's intentional um you're the editor's not doing a good job it's true of a lot of
1: different art sure. forms it's true yeah. of, it's true of almost everything like yeah. you know the the guy who builds your plane, hopefully you forget that he exists, sure, and you just think of it as one giant thing
0: but like in terms of <laughs> filmmaking, you know lots of times
1: like a shot is designed
0: to draw attention to itself in some way you know sure, but even you if don't... It's, even if it's like just a gorgeous lighting scheme
1: right but but i'm saying like still the idea is the shot informs you what to do yeah you never want to be thinking about the editor while watching a movie you never right. want the audience thinking about it if there's a cut that's designed to be noticeable it should be noticeable because it's that cut right exactly and it's the right cut to make there it's the correct thing and if a different decision was made then you would think what's with that editor guy mm-hmm that's what you. That's the idea to avoid that. Now we we've talked uh, a little about
0: this already, but you know this movie is uh, structured through a series of flashbacks, and the thing about it to me which really stands out, and I, I just did this thing. I'm just going to say this in my preparation for this movie. Um, there's a thing that that just came out uh, last week or two weeks ago where Steven Soderbergh, the director of Ocean's Eleven and and Traffic and some of the best edited movies
1: of all time, if you ask me. Dear audience, look up Steven Soderbergh if you haven't heard of him. (laughs) Let's not explain Steven Soderbergh. Okay.
0: He he recently uh, posted a black and white version of Raiders of the Lost Ark where he took out all of the sound and replaced it with basically the soundtrack from the social network.
1: Slick him, Disney.
0: Yeah, as as basically just sort of, uh, you know, mood music in a sense. But basically, the point of that, what the reason why he did that was because he wanted to narrow down this movie, which everyone's familiar with and which has a great story and great performances and things that, that people will naturally get wrapped up in while they're watching it, in order to uh, focus the viewer's attention solely on the staging of... The film, the the composition of the shots, the elements which are in the shots, um, the shot choices which are made. You
1: obviously also need to think about the editing and the well, yeah, the and
0: duration and the, the you know all, all that stuff. Lighting, but, yeah,
1: you do have to think about. It. Like it's it's an arbitrary way of of restricting your perception because right. we do tend to see what we know.
0: Yeah, and, and I started watching this thing, and I'm like, wow, this is. It, 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 I, I there's things that I'm seeing now which I've never seen before, in, in particularly in regards to the editing. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely going to watch Citizen Kane again in preparation for, for this episode. And what I decided to do was turn off the sound. I turned off the sound, I put on um, the the score, for basically just a bunch of classical music. You
1: know, and you watched the color version of it.
0: And I watched the color version of it, no. Why not? <laughs> because I didn't have it for one thing. And uh, what? I would never want to see it for another. But
1: uh, that, That's totally what I would do if I wanted to recreate this ridiculous experiment.
0: <laughs> but in doing that you know and sort of you know taking away the the music which is in the movie too and everything it really did focus my attention on nothing but the editing and uh it was amazing how well the story plays out just through the visuals and you don't even need to have the sound on in order to understand what's going on for the most part um it's really interesting but but what stood out to me more than anything else in regards to the editing when i did this uh were the transitions uh especially from you know one scene to the next and uh a lot of them were so perfectly built into the movie you know they had to have been designed that way from the beginning and it it worked tremendously well you know like things like dissolving from one gated community to another, you know, doing a cut from one person screaming to another person screaming or one person laughing to another person laughing or, you know, uh, uh, there's even a cut as a camera
1: passes through glass.
0: There is, you know, it's
1: It's They totally ripped it off the matrix. The matrix did it first.
0: Right. I mean, he was doing things that, that you just couldn't do and he was doing them lots of times through the editing and then just the overall sort of formal thing of like, you know, we talked about the beginning and how it started with that no trespassing sign and then gets closer and closer to the building. Because we'd be straight up trespassing. Right. And and when the movie ends, it's okay, and at the end of the movie, it's it's bookended with a series of shots which are pulling back from yes. the, the, uh, the mansion or, or whatever it is. Until we get back to the no trespassing sign, which is you know the last shot of the movie before the end credits, so it's it's very uh, you know well thought out and very very well edited. And, um, a lot of the credit there obviously has to go to Robert Wise since he is the editor. You know, I mean, this is something that Paul Thomas Anderson has said, you know, where he can design the most elaborate shots and, and, you know, his photographer can shoot them beautifully, but if his editor can't figure out how to cut them together, then he's screwed. And it's true. I mean, the editor is, is an extremely important part of the process and, and Robert Wise is contribution to Citizen Kane is uh un uncalculable un uncalculable un- un- incalculable incalcul- calculable.
1: Calculable.
0: And uh Really? That's, that's true for this his,
1: is a normal word people use. That's
0: true for his <laughs> uh contribution to uh the history of film as well, I think because of that. So anyway, not to mention things like the pacing and all that, okay. Anyway, any, any final thoughts on uh, Robert Wise and his work on Citizen Kane?
1: Um, again, it's impossible to quantify what precisely the effect was of any of this because it's sort of it's, – it's supernaturally significant. In order, to, in order to determine how significant anything in Citizen Kane was, we'll need to wait until the universe ends and then tally up the score. But it's certainly true that Citizen Kane has – while I don't agree that it is the best movie ever,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I have a heart there's no way to, to criticize people's arguments that it's the best movie ever. Yeah. it's. You just have to say, no, it's just the most influential movie ever. Mm-hmm. And it probably always will be. <laughs> yeah. that's That's the answer. And everybody involved – Maybe it was just you know luck. Maybe it was just you know a, a shooting star was the right place at the right point. But everybody was supernaturally good on this movie. Yeah. So Robert Wise, at the very least, has uh, has hella medical audience.
0: Yes, I, I I agree with all of that. Um, if you haven 't seen Sizz and Kane, definitely check it out if you 're a fan of movies you 'll love it i mean you you can 't not love it it 's you 're not
1: legally permitted to not love it
0: <laughs> yeah and um to you know as far as you know what what it is that that this show is about and everything, and kind of like looking at you know work that Star Trek creators have done outside of Star trek I mean this is one of the most significant and If you are interested in movies or anything like that, definitely check out Citizen Kane because it's amazing. And Robert Wise's contribution to it is also amazing. And, you know, there are a lot of... Well, he he didn't edit any Star Trek movies, including... (laughs) (laughs) Star trek <laughs> um well the, he did eventually he did eventually he got around to it yeah it took him i don't think it was him getting i think it was the studio letting him do it which is funny that, they, that got around to it but isn't
1: that how everything works yeah the studio lets you do
0: it yeah but there are you know a number of really good editors in the history of of star trek and I mean Stuart Baird I even mean, though he didn't edit a uh, Star oh Trek himself either like he's oh one of the best editors in history too. You know, um, Marianne Brandon and Mary Jo Markey uh who edited the two JJ movies. I mean say what you want about the JJ movies, but I will. The, the the editing in those movies is I will continue to do so. is spectacular. You look at their editing in Mission Impossible 3, it's just like wow, this no, is
1: textbook. No, it is it is 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 skillfully done. Yeah. But there's no way to edit those movies into good. I mean, it's it's great.
0: Great stuff. So, yay to all the editors. I guess that's all I have to say.
1: Yay, editors. You are the best editors. E-D-I-T-O-R. <laughs> What's that spell? It spells editors.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm that's It's the y- word editor. If, if you do want to know more about you know, the, the art of editing or, or anything like that... You I know. recommend
1: you see The Cutting Edge about uh, a hockey player and a figure scaler getting together to wow the world with their skills on ice.
0: Not that Cutting Edge, but there is a Pretty movie sure called The that Cutting one. Edge, Pretty which sure is about uh, the art of editing. And you can find it on the Bullet Blu-ray uh, as a special feature, and it is excellent. You don't I,
1: need to get bullet in order to watch it cuz it's also on YouTube.
0: Oh, there you go. That's <laughs> cool. You can also find um a, a couple books which were either written or uh involving Walter Merch. One is called In the Blink of an Eye, which is kind of the textbook uh for editors when they're in school. Um it's a it's a short book, very interesting in terms of theory and stuff like that. By Walter Murch, who hmm. is like Francis Ford Coppola's editor, and he's won a bajillion Oscars. Francis
1: Ford Coppola's editor—that's that—is a significant thing. He yeah. managed to edit Francis Ford Coppola movies. Yes, meaning that he had seven days of footage, <laughs> and he cut it into a feature film.
0: Exactly. Um, there's another book which was written by uh, Michael and- Andagi. Is that his name? The guy who wrote The English Patient. But he wrote a book called The Conversations, Walter Murch and the Art of Editing, where basically he sat down. He transcribed a conversation. He he sat down and (laughs) he interviewed Walter Murch about editing. And it is not only one of the, probably the best book on film editing that I've ever read, it's also the best book on film theory
1: that I've ever read. See, I find both of these, these things very strange because... The fact is that there is no good, like editing theory analysis book.
0: Oh, I think there are. I think that that right there is is an amazing one.
1: No, I mean, like they they're very abstract. There is no guide to beginning editing. Well, no. On day one, you are in a world where everything is bizarre, and right. every one of your completely normal, reasonable preconceptions needs to be broken down. But there is no guide to it. I mean, that could be true. But In order to get to the conversations or blink of an eye, you have to be an editor for a while in order to just know what they're talking about.
0: No, I don't think that that's true. I think that they they do a good job of, of explaining what's going on. But I would definitely recommend both of those books, regardless. Oh, well. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. Talking about Robert Wise and his work on Citizen Kane. Uh, but that's not all we're talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit.
0: They, they look at the original series episodes and they see thematically what it is that works and they pick that in order to explore like a different side of it. Earl Grey. No, do you guys seriously not know why they have red and green light?
1: Not all of us have read Ships of the Line. Okay, no, 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 no. no, Wait, is this a ship of the Line? I'm only
0: in, like, chapter one. No, no.
1: I'm talking about, like, (laughs) real ships today. Have you been on a ship, Darren?
0: The Orb. Them being adversarial, I I don't think necessarily was the only way they could have gone. Um, It makes for a great story, but it just made me wonder, just in an impossible universe, what would have happened?
1: I think it's important, though, that she, as the religious leader, is
0: not sold on the idea that this outsider is their emissary.
1: To the journey! Endgame cannot make my list. <laughs> I, uh, I don't <laughs> have as much hatred for Endgame as you or apparently everybody else does. Oh, I've, not that I'm bitter or anything, no.
0: Warp 5. So I would argue in the case of what Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco, which luckily missed and went into the bay, and I don't know if i guess george and gracie aren't there right in the 22nd century so they're okay but
1: the ready room they could have really diverged with what we knew of will and made thomas's own unique character i mean he is but like if we can get multiple burial episodes you know why can't thomas Riker (laughs) have more than one episode mission log a ronberry star trek podcast And he happens to figure it all out. And that's enough to drive an audience. We we need to get
0: Will Wheaton on the show because I will defend Wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley. (laughs) Okay. Commentary, Trek Stars. There was an interview, I think, with with JJ where they were talking to him. And he was saying that, you know, oh, my, my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day. I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid.
1: He saw he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house, and I thought I would like to break some of these
0: literary treks. But I do I like. I want the to cover. see Spock with a perm. Oh gosh! Well, I think I I've pre- got a Photoshop project in my future with this cover right here. Melodic treks.
1: It's like, oh, this wow. happened! Oh, oh, this is so good! <laughs> <laughs> it was. No it was joke, just amazing. She, uh, reacts. And that's what else is happening on
0: Trek.fm. Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm to get all the links. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us a review on iTunes, or you can send us an email at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, at ComTrackStars.
1: Indeed, you uh, can.
0: You can also find us on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do our other show, Commentary Track Stars Off-Topic, with our friend Brandon. And if you go there, you can also find our commentary for Citizen Kane, uh, which, you know, I think is a pretty decent analysis. Yeah, it's all right. Check it out. It's all right. Um, you can also find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with, uh, Drew, where we talk about the original series.
1: The original series.
0: Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. They've even got The War of the Worlds radio drama which Orson Welles produced back in the day which supposedly caused mass hysteria because... Everyone thought that it was a real thing and that aliens were actually invading. And
1: if you're curious to know how that happened, um, if you listen to the radio drama, you will be more confused because it is fairly obvious that it is fiction. Right. And there are even commercials.
0: It's called War of the Worlds, the radio show that changed the world, and it was written by H.G. Wells and adapted by Howard Coach and narrated by Carl Phillips and Orson Welles. It's 55 minutes long. The description says, This is the so-called reason the government won't reveal all they know about UFOs. The panic from this broadcast was significant. Although Orson Welles's Mercury Theater and the Columbia Broadcasting System couldn't soap the windows of their listeners the night before Halloween back in 1938, they could annihilate the world for them. And that's exactly what they did with this radio adaptation of H.G. Wells's famous novel, War of the Worlds. And you can get this audio drama for free on Audible since you listen to commentary Trek stars. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trekstars, and Trek.fm. And lastly, if you'd like to support the network, you can donate through our Patreon page at patreon.com trek.fm. It's kind of like Kickstarter, but on a monthly basis. You can donate you know, anything from uh, a, do- a dollar or two to many, many dollars or two. Many, many
1: dollars or too many
0: dollars? Something like that, yeah. Okay. And, you know, depending on how much you donate, there are various uh, reward levels, just like on Kickstarter. And you can get uh, anything from uh, bonus content. For example, yeah. maybe an audio commentary that we'll do or something like that. Not for Citizen King, because we already did that one, but, you know, something that. Although else. we could just reuse it. Yeah, yeah, but Although they we could probably get it shouldn't. for free.
1: Yeah, because yeah, it wouldn't be exclusive.
0: Right. Uh, we could do a topless Crap, it's audio. Yeah. So you could get something like that, or you could get something, you know, if you wanted to, to you know, donate some big bucks, you could even uh, get a guest appearance on The Ready Room. So uh, go over to com slash trek.fm and uh, help us out. It would be greatly appreciated.
1: It sure would, because this is a really weird endeavor that we are on.
0: Yes. All right. Well, that's it for Robert Wise and his work on Citizen Kane. That's 100 episodes in the can, 82 to go. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back next week to talk about the latest Ron Moore television series.
1: I just need to ask you a quick question. When you were describing the War of the Worlds thing, what the hell does soak their windows mean?
0: Soap their windows? Yeah, what the hell? I think it means, like, cover them up so they can't see outside. Oh.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've done that. I didn't know that that was a thing that you did.
0: I guess back in the 30s it was. As,
1: I don't know. Okay. Super weird reference, though. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yes, we will be back next week to discuss Ron Moore's latest television series, Outlander.
1: Yeah. Oh.